0: Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. This is the word of the Lord. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that I or know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is God's word. Those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we do glorify you for your holy and perfect word. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray that it would dig deep within the joints and marrow of our soul and that it would transform our minds conforming us to the image of God in our lives that we live in this world. I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. Pray that you move me out of the way this morning and that you alone will be glorified. Help your people not to hear me or see me but hear you, see you Know you. We pray all this for the glory of God and for the sake of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, we examine the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ as the shadow of the cross is beginning to penetrate his human soul. He knows fully what it will mean for him to be the sin bearer. Of the people of God. In the previous verses, our Lord prayed exclusively for the apostles. He prayed for their protection. There was a world that hated them, there is an evil one that was bent on their destruction. There was sin dwelling within their own hearts. They needed the prayers of their interceding high priest. He prays, Father, protect them. Our Lord prayed that his disciples would be. Sanctified, or if you like, set apart. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And these men were to be the very foundation stones of the Christian church, sent out as missionaries into a hostile world. And they would testify to that hostile world concerning the truth revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus prays that they would increasingly be set apart from the world unto God so that they would testify to what God has revealed to them in Christ Jesus. Now in these verses before us, our Lord extends his prayers to all disciples that would be reached by way of the apostolic gospel. This prayer as Calvin says, is a safe harbor for all who retreat into it are safe from the danger of shipwreck. How does our Lord pray for those who will believe in him throughout the generations? This, by the way, or by the way would also include you and I. In the Lord's mercy, we are blessed to hear exactly how our Lord Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples. We find in these closing verses that That our Lord prays that his people would be one, even as he and his father are one. He prays also that they, we, may see his glory. This morning we are going to consider the the first aspect of our Lord's prayer, that they may be one. Listen to how he says it though. Not that we may become one, but that we may manifest our oneness. Verse 20, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Question before we begin, when was the last time that you purposely and intentionally prayed for the unity of the body of Christ here in Bakersfield and throughout the world? When was the last time that you prayed for the unity of the body here in Bakersfield and throughout the world? There are just two, maybe three points that I have for you this morning. And they are once again once again, going to be formed in the form of a question. The question I have for you, number one, which is our first point is this. How are we to be one? How are we to be one? Verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our Lord is looking down the corridors of time, if you will. He is looking forward to those for whom he will lay down his life, you and I. How is it possible that people from different cultures and different countries people divided by languages, class, education, and personalities, etc. How is it possible that we could ever be one? How could all of our differences be transcended? How is it possible? Our Lord tells us in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Oneness, unity, is accomplished by our believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian unity is unity by way of union with Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. Christian unity is unity by way of union with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of our union. He is the center of our unity. Our unity or our union is established in Christ. It is through believing in Jesus Christ, that you find yourselves set apart to that great multitude of men and women, boys and girls, in all the ages throughout history, who are together, united in Christ because of their faith in Christ. Christian unity is not some kind of ecclesiastical construction, meaning this. It is not something that leaders in history somewhere devised and made up all on their own. Rather, Christian unity is created through the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and us believing in that gospel. Christian unity is not something that we are aiming at or even aiming for. It is something by the mercy of God that we already enjoy in Christ Jesus. We're not aiming for it. We're not shooting for unity. It is something that we have in Christ. He is the point of our unity. Verse 21 and verse 22. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That they may also be one, even as we are one. Ask yourself. Or maybe you already are asking yourself, what is the Lord saying here? What does he mean when he says the glory that you have given me, I have given to them in order that they may be one, even as we are one. What does he mean? What is this glory that the father gave to the son and that the son in turn gives to his people? What is that glory? If you look back at verse number 11, we see exactly what that is. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, listen, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may also be one, even as we are one. How, what is this glory? It is this, keep them in your name, the name that you have given me. The name of God is the revelation of God. It is the revelation of God's triunity in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus telling us concerning Christian unity? It is that unity is created by the gospel. And that gospel is the purpose of the triune God. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory is the self-revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That God was reconciling the world unto himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the glory. In other words, this Christian unity is given to us by Christ as we believe in him. That is the point of verse 22. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one even as we are one. Do you realize that nowhere in the Bible are we urged to create Christian unity? Nowhere in Scripture are we urged to create, not maintain, not make efforts toward, but create Christian unity. I can remember when I was young in the faith. I thought I was some kind of revolutionary that was going to push for all churches to be united as one. Let's forget about all of our denominations. Let's forget about or ignore all of our differences. Let's just be one. I thought I was Bob Marley. And that may have been very, and it may sound very admirable. It may sound like something desirable. But I was missing a major point. Unity was impossible for me to create. We don't create unity. Unity is outside of our power to create. Christian unity is something that we don't create. Rather, it is something that God, listen, gives in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is it given? In the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have unity. This is why Paul continued to remind the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I beg you, brothers, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, That you all speak the same thing and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfected together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why did Paul have to remind the believers in Corinth and other churches, but especially in Corinth, of their unity? Because in Christ, we have unity through the gospel. And in the church of Corinth, like in many churches today, They were damaging that unity because of their own selfish desires. We have unity in Christ. And yet it is possible for us to rupture Christian unity. We have unity in Christ and we can rupture that unity by our pride and by our selfishness and by our own disobedience. Which is why Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus Walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, Ephesians 3, Which, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. He does not say create, but rather he says make every effort to maintain that which has been given to you through the Spirit of God. Make every effort, and yes, brothers and sisters, yes, dear ones, it does take effort, it does take work, and often it is not easy. To look across the person sitting next to you or across the aisle from you and say, I genuinely desire unity with that brother or with that sister. And I will make every effort in order to maintain the unity that has been given to us in Christ. Sadly, though, sometimes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is unrecognizable. I often look back at the pictures of my right leg after my cast was taken off. And if you've ever had a cast for any length of time, you, you understand and know the joy of having it removed. And you also know the horror of finally seeing what has been hiding under that contraption of bondage for all of those months. It's hardly recognizable. It was, in my opinion, grotesque. It was disfiguring. It was horrifying when I saw my leg. I can remember thinking... That's not my leg. It was sick. It was a stick. (laughs) And it's often the same principle with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We often look at the church and we cannot believe what we see. It's often disfigured, disjointed, dismembered, divided. And we say, this cannot be the church. Not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our pride, our selfishness, our disobedience can so disfigure us that we are hardly recognizable from what the scriptures describe us to be in the Lord Jesus Christ and how we are united in him. The fundamental point is this. Christian unity is unity in Jesus Christ. The unity of the church is unity of the twice born. Unity of those who have been born again. Unity of those who have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those whose lives have been invaded by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, now notice something. How is that unity initiated? Verse 20. Through those who will believe in me through their word. Believe in me through their word, believing in Jesus, believing in him as the word of the gospel is proclaimed or made known to us. We trust in Christ. It is this. It is the apostolic gospel. It is the apostolic gospel, the faith once for all delivered to the saints that configures Christian unity. It is the apostolic gospel that initiates the unity of the saints through their word, he says. At the heart of that faith is the gospel. The gospel once for all, given to the apostles, passed on and delivered to all peoples of every nation, tribe and tongue. It is Christ and him crucified that we believe and we are then united in Christ. We who have trusted in that apostolic gospel are all in Christ. We are all no longer rich nor poor, slave nor free, Greek nor Jew. We are in Christ. We are one. That unity in Christ is initiated by the ministry of the apostolic gospel. And I simply mean the gospel that was given by Christ to the apostles to pass on to even you who are sitting here today. We who believe in Christ through their word. We unite on the basis of the message of the gospel. I'll say that one more time so that you heard that clearly. We unite on the basis of the message of the gospel. Do you believe in the gospel, the apostolic gospel, the faith once for all delivered to the saints that has been inscripturated for us by the Holy Spirit in his word? Do you believe that gospel? Do you know that gospel? There can be no Christian unity. Beyond the apostolic gospel. That is our starting point. We believe in the apostolic succession. We believe in apostolic succession. Not as Rome does or as Anglicans do. But we believe in the apostolic gospel succeeding and pressing on and pushing on to every nation, tribe, and tongue until it reached you and I here today and beyond us tomorrow should the Lord tarry. That is the starting point of our unity. We uphold this truth. We stand for this truth. We are united based on this truth. We believe in the in the gospel. Once for all, given to the apostles and passed on to the church. That gospel is this. That God is holy. He is the eternal one. He created man in his own image. Man to love him, to worship him, to enjoy him forever. That man was Adam. Adam disobeyed and rebelled against God. And when Adam sinned, He sinned for all and represented all of humanity. And in Adam, we have all fallen. We have all been depraved. Because of sin, we were separated from God. We were unwilling and unable to come to God on our own. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that you and I deserved. And he rose from the dead. Conquering sin, death, and the grave that you and I might live with him, worship him, enjoy him, and be united to God forever. Having peace with God. And if you repent of your sins, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved, rescued from the wrath of God. This is the gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is the gospel. This is the apostolic gospel. This is the gospel that has survived the generations and the ages to reach you and I by the grace of God here today. The faith delivered once for all to the saints. One may say, what does all that really matter? We are all serving the same God, are we not? We all believe in the same Jesus, do we not? We all want the same things, don't we? Does all of that really matter? Oh, dear ones, it matters. Yes, it does matter. It mattered to Jesus. It mattered enough to Jesus. It mattered enough to his apostles. And throughout the generations, men and women have laid down their lives because truth does matter. It mattered enough for Augustine to stand against Pelagius concerning man's fallenness. It mattered enough for Athanasius to stand against the world concerning the deity of Christ. It mattered enough for John Huss to stand against Rome concerning the authority of the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, it matters. The difference mattered enough to cause a German monk to be so inflamed in his heart by the Holy Spirit that he would stand up against the Roman Catholic Church and cry out the cry of the Reformation, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Sola Christus, Sola... Solideo Gloria, sola scriptura. It matters, brothers and sisters. It matters. You must understand something. This is all Adam in reverse. This is all the, the, the reversal of the curse of Adam. All of humanity is divided in Adam. That division was placarded or or displayed in the tragedy of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where the peoples were separated or divided by tongue. And they began to go in separate directions. And then the Son of God comes. And when he comes, he reverses the curse of Adam. In Christ, there was a, a new humanity being forged by our Lord Jesus Christ. This new humanity, this new unity was displayed for us at Pentecost. When people from every a tribe, nation, and tongue began to do what? Together declare the glories of God in their own language. They began to declare declare the gospel and also declare that the, the curse of Adam has been broken. In Christ. Without Christ, we are separated. In Christ, we are one. What is our unity? It is Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the apostolic gospel. Secondly, what are the features of our Christian unity? What are the features of our what are the principle I should say? What are the principal features of our Christian unity? What are the features that unite us? What what are the features that of unity? What are the features of unity that are that are uppermost in the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ as He faces the reality of becoming the sin bearer for the people of God? Reality or principle A, if you will, we have a spiritual unity. We have a spiritual unity. Verse 21 and 22. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. The unity that we enjoy in Christ. Listen. Is a unity that is patterned after the unity within the Godhead. Or if you like. The unity of the church is a reflection of the unity within the Trinity. There is at the heart of the Trinity a mutual indwelling. The Father indwells the Son. The Son indwells the Father. The Spirit indwells the Father. The Spirit indwells the Son. Theologically, it is called the co-inherence. The theological word for this is called the co-inherence. And please understand this that the Son is the Son. He is not the Father. There is no merging of identities in the person of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Father has always been the Father. The Son has always been the Son. The Spirit has always been the Spirit. But there is a coherence in their individuality, there is an essential bond in their unity. Paul encourages the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 4 3. Maintain the unity of the what? Of the Spirit. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. Christian unity is created and bonded by the Holy Spirit. It is a unity of coherence. Co-inherence. We exemplify that unity every single time that we meet when we gather for corporate worship week after week, when we greet each other with a holy kiss, as scripture says, with a hug, with an embrace, when we show and express the bond of peace that has been given to us by the spirit of God, we are displaying the very unity that is in and within the Godhead. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different cultures. We have different habits, different likes and dislikes. And yet when we come together we recognize instinctively in our hearts that we are one because of Christ Jesus. There is an understanding there. There is an instinctive understanding that we are one. I have this habit. Some may call it a bad habit. That when I meet another Filipino, I act as though we have been friends all of our lives. And they return that kind of, of love. I began to talk like my grandfather with his untranslatable accent. Why? Why do I do that? Because there is something instinctive about me and them. There is a bond that, that we both understand by saying where we come from originally. That we instinctively know that we are, we are united in a special way. We have a special bond. Now how much more, brothers and sisters, should we be united with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we have been bound together by the Spirit of God and through the sacrificial atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ? How much more should we be bonded together than mere bloodlines? We are talking spiritual lines that have been connecting us from all eternity and that will continue to connect us for eternity. Someone introduces us to another believer who was from China, who was from India or Europe, and we automatically welcome them. Why? Because there is a bond that we recognize instinctively through the Spirit that we recognize that that person and us we are one. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. That are from all over the world, that when you meet them, though you do not speak the same language, you can say to them, Christ is Lord. And they will say to you with a handshake and a smile, and maybe even embrace, Amen. Amen. And one day you will be able to understand their language when we are united in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Christian unity is essentially, foundationally though, spiritual. And whenever you think of the word spiritual, you should always capitalize it in your mind. Because it is something that has been created by the Holy Spirit. Right. It's not only a spiritual unity, but it is also a number B or letter B, a scriptural unity. We find this in verse twenty. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. It is a scriptural unity. Unity without the apostolic gospel is a facade and it is a lie unity without the apostolic gospel it is a facade and it is a lie it is deceptive to pretend that we have unity when we don't agree on the gospel there are so-called christian churches here in this city that name the name of christ and yet listen close they deny the trinity I have an email that I'd be willing to show you of one pastor who has 10,000 members who outright will not say he believes in the Trinity. Who actually calls it a debate that's been going on for years and who says all of the words concerning it that it's just theological babble. We are not united. The deity of, the, of, the deity of Christ The depravity of man. Salvation by grace alone apart from the works of man. These are all essential doctrines and more. And to pretend like these essential doctrines don't matter. And that we could unite apart from these doctrines. It is deceptive and it is untrue. It does matter. If the church does not hold to an orthodox teaching of the Trinity. The deity of Christ. Humanity of Christ. The authority of scripture. Salvation by grace alone etc. Then we are not united. We cannot and will not set aside those truths for the sake of unity. Alistair Begg said, Christian unity is based on truth and should never be sought at the expense of truth. We don't set truth aside for the purpose of being united. Submission to the truth of God is a necessary precondition to Christian unity. I'm going to say that again. Submission to the truth of God is a necessary precondition to Christian unity. But let me encourage you on this and also let me challenge you on this. It's not just having right doctrine. It's also having a right heart. It's not just having a right doctrine. It's also having a right heart. When Jesus speaks about those who will believe in me through their word, the great concern of the apostolic gospel is not only to furnish our minds with right notions and with correct doctrines. But that we also learn to obey the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that he showed much grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who for your sakes became poor, though he was rich. Who humbled himself, who stooped at the feet of his disciples and washed their feet, who spoke the truth in love. Who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit. And do you see the balance there? We cannot simply say, I know the gospel, and yet we are unloving in presenting it. That would be a complete contradiction. Contradiction. To have all of the right doctrines. To be able to destroy all of the arguments and yet be cold and unloving to those to whom you are sharing that gospel with. Know your doctrine and have a heart of love and grace to those whom you share it with. What does our Lord say? By this all men will know that you are my disciples. When you have love for one another. And yes, this is first and foremost to your fellow disciples. And yet we are to display grace to those who are not yet followers, who are not yet disciples of Christ and who have wrong notions about Christ. We are to be gracious toward them, loving toward them, not compromising, not dismissing truth, but yet being grace, graceful and gracious when we're sharing truth with them. What does Paul say? Though I speak with tongues of men and angels. But have not love. I am a noisy gong. Or a clanging cymbal. You hear that? Though I speak with the tongues of men. Or tongues of men and angels. I may have high words. God exalting words. But if I do not speak them in love. Then I am nothing but Someone making a lot of noise. This is an area that I confess I need help in my own life. What about you? See, it is also a visible unity. Look at verse 23 and we'll close here. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world will know that you sent me. And love them even even as you loved me. Do you see the the evangelistic heartbeat in our Lord's Prayer? How, How is the world to know that the Father has sent the Son? How is the world to know that the Father has sent the Son? And how is the world to know that the Father has loved us in the Son? I and them and you and me so that the world may know that you sent me he says Jesus is speaking about the visible impact of our unity the visible impact that we will have on the unbelieving world when we display the unity that the unity that is ours in Christ Jesus he envisions unity of the people of God moving upward toward completeness and what does he say? That they may become perfectly one. We are on a journey. Not towards Christian unity. But a journey from unity to perfection of unity. Do you hear that? We are not on a journey toward... We are on a journey not toward Christian unity, but a journey from unity to perfection of unity. Why? So that the world might know. So that the world might know. Jesus is saying seeing our unity in Christ will help the world to know that the Father has sent me. What is he telling us? He is telling us that the gospel credibility in this world is not independent of church's unity. Meaning this, our witness to the world becomes even more powerful when we are one. When the world sees that we are one, our witness to the world becomes that much more powerful. You may be wondering, well, how? How will the world know that the Father has sent the Son? That the Father has loved us because of our unity? How is that possible? And why does it even matter? Think of the words of Jesus. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. Well, how is that practically displayed? When you go out of your way for one another. When you are always reaching out a helping hand to encourage. When you stand by one another through adversity. When you rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And also when you weep with those who are weeping when you are always thinking about ways that you might serve your brothers and sisters better, it will be a witness to the unbelieving world, to the truthfulness of Christ and and the legitimacy of God's love. The world will see them and say, see how they love one another. Why should our divided world take seriously A divided church. J.C. Ryle says how painfully true it is that in every age, divisions have been the scandal of religion and the weakness of the church of Christ. How often Christians have wasted their strength in contending against fellow brethren instead of contending against sin and the devil. How repeatedly... Have they given occasion to the world to say, listen to this, when you have settled your own internal differences, then we will believe. How true is that? How do you treat your fellow brothers and sisters? Are you humble before them? Are you loving toward them? When there is a disagreement, when there is something that you disagree with, Do you love them enough to go to them? Or do you show that you actually hate them by separating? Do you hear that? There are brothers that I love in this church because they love me enough to come to me and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Rather than going behind my or your back and leaving this church because of something that could be settled through a simple, loving conversation. There is not one thing that I will ever let become, come between my wife that I will not go to her and that she will not come to me. And usually it's her being the humble one coming to me and say, can we talk? Because I love you enough even in times of difficulty to, to be the wrong one and to take it, why? For the sake of our relationship. For the sake of our unity, we likewise, if we have brothers and sisters in this church that we are knowing that we are united to in Christ, we should be able to say, even if I'm wrong, I will take it for the team so that we could be united. Not leaving here and backbiting against one another, but going to them and saying, I love you enough. I care about you enough. This unity is important enough or that important to me. That I will come to you. Amen. And in doing so, all men will know that you are disciples of Christ when you show that kind of love to one another. Amen. How do you love the people here? We are but one microcosm in the large life of the body of Christ. But how do you pray for them? How do you pray for those who have also been washed in the blood of the Lamb? They are your brothers and sisters. We can easily point out their flaws and their inconsistencies, but we can rarely see our own flaws and our own inconsistencies. We can see all the specks, but we can't see the log in our own eyes. And hear me close. I am not saying that we don't rebuke, correct, or reprove far from that. But that when we do so, we do so as family. Amen. As the grace, as with the same grace and care that we would with our very own family. Amen. Amen. Thomas Watson, the English Puritan, the very readable, by the way, English Puritan says, There is but one God, and they who serve him must be one. There is nothing that would render true religion more lovely Or make more proselytes, more converts to it than to see the possessors of it tied together with the heartstrings of love. In his church, the Lord Jesus Christ is building a new humanity. Sin had divided and scattered the human race and alienated us from God. In the church, the Lord Jesus has begun the work of gathering together his sheep into one humanity who He calls the church. Ephesians 2.14 For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You cannot bend before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ with others who are also bending their knee and not have your first reaction be To embrace them. You cannot bend your knee. And then look to your left and right. And see others who are there with you. Bending their knee. And not have your first reaction be. To embrace them. And then when you stand and walk with them. Then share with them the works of of Calvin. Share with them the works of Owen. Share with them the works of Spurgeon. Share with them the works of. Of those who are teaching the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross. We bow our knee. Before our Savior. And this often. Will be disappointing. When those who we believe are bowing their knee before Christ. Are not receptive of the true gospel. But be gracious in those moments. Pray for them in those moments. And do you pray. I'm encouraging this morning to look past your own horizon and look to those who are calling upon the name of Christ and pray that we be united in Him. I'll end with this. Let us bear much, concede much, and put up with much before we plunge into successions or success, cessations and separations. JC Ryle. Let us bear with each other much. Let us put up with much. Let us endure much before we finally say we have to go our separate ways. Please, in closing, hear the balance. I would hate for you to conclude that truth does not matter because you know that it does. It is what unites us. And for those who have not believed possibly fully all of the truth or understood the depths of truth, the truth of God, be gentle with them. Be patient with them show the grace that was given to you when you were first trying to learn true essential doctrines. Christian or Christ has died for that unity. The Holy Spirit by his grace has established it. Let us stand.